Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity recorded in the pod at White City Place. I'm Ellie Stuhler. Those working in the creative industries, when asked what they hope to work on, what their dream client might be, will often cite not a major consumer brand, but perhaps a social cause, aspiring to make a contribution to society instead of simply fueling consumerism. Sadly, that very rarely seems to come to fruition. Not so for our conversationalists today, who are co-founders of Glimpse, a creative collective that tries to cut through consumer and popular culture with a healthy dose of wit and compassion. I'm Zach Schwartz, and I am co-founder of creative collective Glimpse. And my name's James Turner, and I am the other co-founder of Glimpse. Zach Schwartz was born in France, but grew up in rural Essex, beginning his career in PR for several major agencies and for large commercial clients like Cadbury's, Virgin Atlantic, and Johnny Walker. Despite enjoying his work, he felt the need to marry his career with his beliefs and values. How could he, he asked himself, PR airlines when he was concerned about climate change? And speaking of climate change, James is a former TV producer who broke ranks to join Greenpeace. James spent nearly 10 years at Greenpeace in the UK and US before a short stint with the Syria campaign, helping share stories of heroic rescue workers and doctors caught up in the violence. Together, they are co-founders of Glimpse, a collective with more than 2,500 members from advertising, design, fashion, and film. Glimpse enables creative professionals to use their existing skills for positive social and environmental causes. Their projects have included Choose Love, the world's first store that sells real products for refugees. James, so um, how did Glimpse become a reality for you? How did it start? I suppose the first origins of Glimpse came from a sense that there was something missing. And um, at the time, I was working with Greenpeace. So I worked at Greenpeace for about 10 years. And I was doing all sorts of exciting campaigns and direct actions and uh, taking on big oil companies who were drilling for oil in the Arctic. Um, But while I was there, sort of two things happened. The first was I worked in a communications role and I was being approached by all sorts of creative people from design, fashion, filmmaking, advertising, who wanted to be using their skills for Greenpeace or for kind of environmental projects. Um, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Like, there's all these people out there who clearly have a need that is not being met in their current jobs. So that was the one side of it. Uh, and then the other side that I suppose was more of a nagging feeling was that as proud of uh, as I was of the work that Greenpeace was doing, it, like all, almost all charities, was about pulling down uh, what we have. So getting rid of negative corporate behavior or changing laws or uh, banning things. Um, and it felt as if there was an opportunity to instead paint a picture of what we could have, so a positive alternative, and to help people imagine that, um, which is why this name Glimpse appeared um, and really just led me to bring together a group of people in a room to see what happens when you put creative people on an environmental or a social project. So instead of them being charity people, what happens when you put brilliant minds from advertising and design and graphics on an environmental challenge? Um, and that's where you came in. Yeah, and I suppose I I came in way back in 2016. It feels like time's going by really, really quickly now. Um, 
And I was one of those people, wasn't I, that came to the first ever Glimpse Hack, the, the original one. We have photos of it and we use it in lots of presentations. Um, and I remember working, when we first started working together, I was doing uh, freelance creative work for a number of PR agencies. And I was one of the, I'd always wanted to work at Greenpeace. Um, I used to um, get those whaling stickers when I was like three and anti-whaling stickers, not the pro ones and used to sell them to raise money for Greenpeace. And I always dreamed of working on Greenpeace and then through a mutual friend got introduced to you and helped on the Save the Arctic campaign doing some media planning from there and was one of the people invited to, well, to your that, that idea you had of getting everyone together and worked on our now kind of hopefully quite legendary Cats campaign. Do you want to just talk a little bit about why you wanted to work with Greenpeace? I mean, you said that you had whaling stickers, but just to be clear, you volunteered some of your time as a PR specialist to help us with a, with a campaign. Yes, I, I suppose that as I, I started, um, always always loved animal charities and environmentalism, and that was where my heart always was. And as happens, I went to university, applied to a number of courses and messed up my A-levels and ended up through a number of reasons going through to fashion college, which was great, but um, and off the back of that doing PR, working in PR agencies and really have always enjoyed, loved working in commercial PR agencies, but always remembered those b days back in the day when I was collecting Greenpeace stickers and wanting to do more with my professional time. Um, and I think I've kind of often thought about, you know, as my career progressed and, you know, again, moved higher up into agency life and really enjoyed working on some really big brands and all the kind of creativity and the frills that come with that is that increasing in as the you know the wages and the you know the um what's the word the kind of the kudos of working on bigger brands and being higher up go up so does that feeling a bit of wanting to kind of remember why you know what I really believed in and I don't necessarily think I believe in mass consumption and consumerism and I believe that there's more out there than just buying stuff um, and that's kind of long-winded way saying that I wanted to find different ways of working for uh, charities like Greenpeace and that's why I volunteered to do a bit of time for, for you that, back in those days. Mm. So at that first meeting we got together about 30 people as I've said from advertising, design, fashion and, and different backgrounds and the brief that we wrote was tailor-made for those people in that room so it was around consumerism because we thought it would be interesting to have people for whom selling is their primary job um, look at how to use those existing skills to unpick the story that buying stuff makes us happy. Um, and it's something that I felt very passionately about. And interestingly, neither Greenpeace nor many environmental charities sort of tackle consumerism in any direct way. Um, and I think that's because there's a nervousness about being seen to preach at people. Um, and there's also a sense that there are bigger levers to pull. You know, you should be going after governments or big companies instead. But actually, all of us feel this desire to go shopping and buy stuff and look at shiny things in the window. And that is one of the stories that our culture tells us is the most important important source of identity and source of who you are. So that was that initial brief. But I think the really exciting thing was putting people in a room together to see if they could unpick that in a playful way and present an alternative. So that's what you and, and a few other people started to do. Can you just talk through what, what happened, how that group came together and, and what your discussion was around that brief? Yes, yeah, so that, I mean, everyone in that group had always in, you know, been in the creative process. Uh, so kind of understood how you brainstorm and, and hack. And I think 
what we found that the biggest challenge and what was exciting is no one had ever been in a brainstorm or or used their creative brain on a on a brief where there wasn't a commercial client you know the idea for that first brainstorm was like how do we tackle consumerism period not how do we tackle consumerism for a brand or a company who's the client who's going to tell us off and i think that's kind of one of the models of what we tried to do with glimpse now is it's totally liberating to try and think creatively without the constraints of someone gonna hold you in uh, it doesn't mean that you don't have to create something and be actionable but yes yeah, so what was really exciting was this idea of you know no brief well, no, no client and you know imagining a world and then as we developed the process was really using everyone's different skills that were in the room in in our group there was some copywriting people there was a couple of strategists there was uh, someone that was kind of seemed to be relatively good at drawing. He could draw cats quite well um, on some flip chart paper that we used um, and using their different skills to kind of visualize this idea. And again, another interesting part of that process was the whole of our first ever campaign, which was cats, which I think we might talk about. Uh, that whole idea, pretty much all of it was kind of done in a day. It was kind of proper hack type thing. We came up with this idea, uh, thought about where we would do it, how we would fund it, how we would kind of create it. Um, and then at the end of the day, we kind of, you know, had that moment of realisation, which you do sometimes when you have a really good idea, when everyone kind of like, yeah, that's a really good idea. And just to explain the process, I mean, the brief started with imagine a world where our friends and our relationships were more valuable than stuff we could buy in the shops. And the idea with Glimpse is not just to promote it, not just to talk about it, but actually to inhabit that world. So what would that world look like? And the thinking was, well, you wouldn't need adverts anymore. Adverts would be irrelevant because the most important thing in your life are your friends and your relationships. So what would we replace adverts for handbags and bikinis and trainers and fast cars with? And that was the kind of origin of the creative idea, mm. wasn't it? Yeah. And then once we decided we were going to replace adverts with something, then the kind of creative juices got flowing and we got kind of quite excited about what we would replace it with. Um, and then, you know, trying to find something that would have real salience and really excite people. We thought about what is the imagery that kind of ignites passion kind of universally across across ages and demographics. What do people love more than anything? Uh, what gets the internet going more than anything? Dolphins. And that's how it... No, unfortunately, as much as I wanted to, to, to do dolphins with my Greenpeace hat on, I think I suggested it for quite a while and we were going down that route. Um, but then it kind of lucked on the the own there is only one thing that has that kind of universal love and adoration on the internet and it has to be cats um and that's when we decided to kind of replace all the ads somewhere with just pictures of cats um and then there was a, a really clever copywriter who was like we need like a name for this it can't just be like you know replacing everything you know who's doing it like you know thinking kind of logically about it and he was like let's come up with an acronym and yeah i mean pretty instantaneously he came up with the citizens advertising takeover service which obviously quite nicely fits as cats which we were very pleased with um licking our paws <laughs> and so uh, just to fast forward that project you know we ran a kickstarter campaign we raised the money off ordinary people thousands and thousands of people kind of shared it and donated and then we took over clapham common tube station in london and replaced 68 posters with unbranded pictures of cats for two weeks. And 
it was just a really weird feeling walking into the tube. It felt like it was kind of transgressive and as if people had kind of taken back control, to coin a phrase, um, from these big unthinking entities, the advertising companies who control our world and dictate what's on walls and billboards and screens everywhere. And that actually maybe it is possible for citizens to say what they want around them and that maybe we don't have to feel inadequate all the time, that we don't have enough or we don't own enough. Um, and I think it was that sense of kind of culture jamming, which is a word that I've kind of a phrase that I've used a bit in my career that felt most exciting and that we didn't really plan it. Yeah. I always wondered, what did your like friends at Greenpeace think of that? Because it's quite a different, and we've never really talked about it before, but like, it's it's quite an ungreen PC in that it didn't have an action. There was it was you know we were trying to make a, a statement without we didn't ban or stop or end anything. Yeah, I think it got mostly a very positive reaction in that people saw that it was a uh, a very popular idea and got a lot of attention. And one of the interesting things, one of the things that, that Greenpeace respects most are protests or interventions that grab media attention and get people talking. And it definitely did that. There were a few, actually not from Greenpeace people, there are a few people on social media saying, yeah, but what did this actually achieve? What did it do? And I think for me, that's a really important point because firstly, there wasn't a client, there wasn't a campaign brief. We didn't set out to achieve anything in particular. But the other thing that it did achieve was to get people asking questions. So a lot of people were like, why are there cats in the tube instead of normal adverts? What is this about? What's their point? And I think so much of activism or campaigning or social change is like, we're right and you're wrong and here's how you should think. That there's an opportunity here to ask questions and to say, imagine if we didn't have adverts everywhere and that in fact we celebrated nature or animals or families instead of consumer goods. And just sit with that for a while. What would it look like? What would it feel like? And we're not saying down with advertising. We're not saying you should, you know, write, ad write to Nike and tell them to stop selling trainers. But the reason it's a glimpse, the reason it's disruptive is it kind of jacks into your understanding of the world. So I think people were broadly in support of it. I think f for me also coming from the kind of commercial sector and, and uh, is that one of the things, yeah, it got some, my mum didn't really like it, which was always a bit of a shame. Um, but apart from her, one of the things that was really interesting was that I think it gave people a lot of permission that actually you can do things you thought you couldn't do. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the things we're really into, we try and do with Glimpse is kind of saying like, you know, we try and with our collective is if you want to do something, we'll try and make it happen. There's no one stopping anyone doing anything. And often the first question, people like my peers in the commercial sector, PR would be like, so how did you do it? What, you just booked the ad space? And I was like, yeah, like, we, you know, I mean, you did the, the booking of the actual ad space. Like you're just a dude that just called up you know, the ad people and TFL and sorted that out. And it's kind of like, that's what we're trying to do with Glimpse a lot is say to people like, you can make any campaign you want. Like there's nothing, no one's stopping you and that idea. And yeah, and I found that really, that, that was kind of the best bit for me is everyone going, I can't believe you did that. And people still ask, you know, they ask the nuts and bolts of that campaign. They want to know like, can you literally crowdfund and do an ad campaign on the tube? And we're like, yeah, of course you can. You don't have to be a, a big spender to do that. And, and then from your perspective then, you have a lot of friends and acquaintances from the commercial PR world and from different commercial sectors. Can you just talk a little bit about what it meant to do something that was quite, not anti-commercial, but certainly it feels to me as if there is this weird kind of elephant in the room with people who work in commercial creativity where they love the work, they love 
the creativity, they love the artistry, but they all kind of recognize that a lot of the stuff that they're selling is meaningless and that they'd probably be doing something else if they could choose, but the world is as it is and then there's no choice. Can you just talk about personally what reaction you got or you continue to get from those people and whether there's any tension there? Uh, I, I think there's loads of tension and I think it's what we're, you know, I'm really conscious of not being, not ma making people feel ashamed of not doing it. Um, lots of people, it, it is so interesting that when you're in an agency or in the commercial sector, you talk about what clients do we want to go after, what work excites everyone. The work that excites most of the people in the room, in my experience, was always cause-related, dealing with issues. It wasn't personal, I've got an updated dishwasher powder or Cadbury's have, have found a new version of the same chocolate bar mixing two old chocolate bars. Or winning awards. Or Yeah, it was getting excited. You know, people, that's what people really want to do, particularly the kind of people at the beginning of their career and people at the end of, or kind of senior people. In the middle, you're kind of busy trying to grow, but when you're kind of still quite, um, you know, thinking about what you want to achieve or when you've kind of done a bit of the work, um, I think that's what I'm really conscious of is not making people feel bad for not doing more of it. Um, and I think what Cats did in particular is it also reminded people of the joy of just doing our job sometimes. Um, clients, you know, and, and I think we're trying to do a glimpse. We try not to refer to clients. We try to refer to partners. And we're really trying to get to a point where we're, everyone that we work with, we are working with them, not for them. And when it becomes for, it's like, it's your job to make my life a misery. And somehow you're entitled to do that because you're the client. Um, so when we do our glimpse projects or the creativity of cats, it was like, no one is going to make you stay late and do this. No one's going to tell you off if you don't do it. You're going to do it because you just enjoy doing it. And it's what we brought on with our next project, which was Choose Love, which, you know, um, you know, we had, what, 60 people working on that. And no, there was no client. Like, you didn't have to do anything. So I think, yeah, the two, it, it's, like you say, there's that elephant in the room, but also the other bit is that pressure that client clients give and ruin the work. And a lot of people say that. It's like, well, why does everything always have to have a client? You're listening to Thought Starters, recorded in the pod at White City Place. In conversation today are Zach Schwartz and James Turner, co-founders of the socially driven creative collective Glimpse. One of the questions that we all get, and to be honest, uh, Zach and I always slightly roll our eyes when we get this question, is like, that's really interesting, so how do you fund yourself? Um, as if, you know, how you fund yourself is the most important question to ask any new organisation. Um, but anyway, the, the reason that we get that so often is when you talk about cats, it was anarchic, it was all volunteers, uh, it was people working evenings and weekends. And since then, we have started working with partner organisations who ask us to help with creative challenges. But that wasn't actually how it played out in the next project. So the next project was an idea that we had around Black Friday and doing something to sort of poke at that crazy institution of Black Friday where we all recognise just how grotesque and absurd this day is, but we've kind of like fallen into it and we're copying America and everyone thinks that's okay. So we thought, well, what could we do on Black Friday that would, like cats, completely disrupt the narrative? And the idea from there was, what about opening a shop which doesn't sell anything that you can take home, um, which operates as a shop but actually only lets you buy stuff for people who really need it 
rather than for most of us, we've already got everything we need. Um, and that was the origin of the Choose Love idea, which was working with help refugees, an amazing grassroots refugee charity, to open a shop that sells products for refugees. So children's boots, blankets, sleeping bags, but also things that represent hot food, which you could go in and browse and pick up and look at the label and, and then use your card to buy, just like you would do in a real shop, but instead of taking it home, you get to, um, well, it goes to a refugee and you get absolutely nothing. So that one was a project that we did with the collective, which is the group of volunteers that we work with. And I think about 60 people worked on that in total. So I don't know if there are any kind of anecdotes or learnings that you remember from that first year that you that particularly struck you or that you were surprised about. Uh, well, there's a few, but um, I suppose one of the key things was, was the ability to, if you, you know, we'd, you know, this idea that a lot of people in, in the creative sector are actually really generous. And when they, when you kind of unshackle them from client, client brief constructs, they'll do a lot more work and be a lot more autonomous and engaged. And so because of that project, we had, you know, people working together on things that had never worked together before and being able to quite, you know, we were always amazed at how all the deadlines were met and people, if one person couldn't come, then someone else would, you know, they would find someone else to replace them. There wasn't that feeling that, you know, it's not my job. Everyone kind of mucks in. I remember some of the more kind of interesting bits that we always had. We, on both stores, we've always had kind of issues out of our control that are kind of, again, quite random, like digging up the street in front of our store before we want to open it and how we dealt with that. And again, this idea of, you know, engaging people in a positive way and all the creators being able to kind of sort that out and find a way through it. Um, and just as we've learned that project was the sheer amount of extra bits that whenever you have an idea like this, that you kind of, you just have to give it a bash and have a go and find someone. We need someone to film this. Let's find someone. We, we, you know, we didn't plan. We don't have like, you know, we didn't have this kind of master plan of how it was going to work. And it was kind of just great fun to just go for one bit and feel, you know, and if you take that approach that there's no client in that way. Um, yeah. So uh, I feel like I'm asking too many questions, yeah. but to, just to just cool. to think about what we're doing now, um, maybe I'll talk a little bit about how we see Glimpse going forward and what we're doing well, right now. Yeah, because I thought I wanted to ask you about, we've got quite interesting views on where we think Glimpse is going to go in the future, and we talk about kind of theories around... Oh, sorry. sorry just to go back for a little bit. Okay, so we've got some quite interesting kind of theories and ways we want to take glimpse in the future um which are about kind of consumerism and kind of engagement between client and stuff and we often say that you've got you know be interested to hear what some of your thoughts are on that yeah so we're trying to find a really simple way to describe what glimpse does and what it is because when you're doing a new thing like a collective of creative people there isn't a model we're not an agency we don't work in a traditional structure so what we've actually hit on is this phrase we want to be the creative agency for the new culture. Uh, and we use the word agency with some hesitation, but what we're saying there is our client, if you like, is the new emerging paradigm, uh, which is about positive cultural values, which is about getting some of these things that are currently not serving us as a society and going beyond them and transcending them. And for us, the three areas of that new culture that we want to focus on are creativity, compassion, and connection with nature. So if you think about uh, the values that dominate popular culture at the moment or that we see on Instagram or on adverts, 
often they are about things like status, about wealth, about hedonism. And that is just accepted as popular culture. What we want to do is to use the power of creativity, to use the power of advertising and marketing to promote compassion as an organizing principle for humanity. So we're working with help refugees to make giving to refugees as fun and accessible as going to the Apple store. And why can't we get more people doing that? On creativity, I think we see creativity as the antidote to consumerism. So instead of mindlessly scrolling through Instagram, what about making some art or shooting a film or recording a piece of music and then putting that on your social media? Imagine if we use social media to communicate the creative work we've done and to offer people praise or you know even criticism for it instead of sending them pictures of ourselves. Like that is a very very narrow use for this amazing technology and, we've got. And also, you know, what's kind of ironic is that some of the social media platforms that become so pervasive were originally designed as a channel to share creative work but they were commercialized and turned into you know what's the the biggest way which i always think is kind of ironic that we've absolutely with instagram being the best example right it was set up as a photography and art sharing platform and got hijacked by by narcissism and then the final one is connection with nature which it's so interesting this subject because it can appear very woolly it can appear very privileged you know if you've got enough money to worry about nature then you can worry about it Um, but I think we certainly feel very passionately that uh, our connection with the natural world with a sense of things greater than ourselves is one of the roots out of the current sort of mental health crisis that we're in and the current general kind of humanities malaise that we find ourselves in um, and going beyond that sense that our individual lifetime is the most important thing in the universe and starting to see ourselves as a sort of a, a speck of dust in a, in a much wider uh, vaster story doesn't have to be scary or make you feel inadequate or insignificant it actually can be very comforting um, and just to go a little bit kind of wider on that I think one of the biggest things I used to work in climate change for many years one of the big theories about climate change is that people deny it people refuse to accept it people push it away uh, because it's linked to their fear of death and people don't like to think about the end of their lives or the end of the world or things going wrong because our culture has set the individual lifetime up as the only measure of meaning, the only measure of achievement or success. Whereas if you look at indigenous cultures, you look at uh, a lot of kind of our cultural history uh, is about seeing our lifetime as part of the generations around us, you know, seven generations ahead, seven generations back. So this sense of connection with nature, whether that means getting more people access to national parks here in the UK, whether it means more sport, more time outdoors, or indeed more meditation and wellness, it's all its all mixed into that. I think we have to break out of the sense that this is a privileged pursuit and start to see something that this is part of our education, this is part of who we are. Um, and in that context, we're currently working with the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds on a nature-related project, which maybe you want to talk a little bit about. Yeah, well, um, well, this, you know, the concept here is really about establishing and reminding people of their connection through nat- to nature through kind of sound and, and therefore music. Um, we've been working with them for quite a few months now um, to really help try and draw attention to the state of British nature uh, and in particular kind of birds and a number of kind of natural species. The, there's some kind of shocking stats about uh, Britain being the most environmentally degraded country in Europe um, and some things that, you know, some really kind of s- sickening information. But what's kind of 
amazing is that the British public generally have a real love for nature and we're trying to kind of get them to reconnect and it's one of our values and using kind of the power of sound as a way to do that. Um, so we're planning on uh, releasing a, a track of pure bird song and trying to get it into the charts. What better way to connect the British public with nature than getting the UK charts? Um, and it's something, you know, we feel it's a, it's a positive way of, of reminding people why they love nature. Um, so when just explain hear, just explain how that'll work. It'll be like a pop song. It'll be like a pop song. Uh, we have got uh, seven or eight. We're just recording at the moment. Seven or eight featured singers. Uh, you mean birds? Yeah, I mean birds. Sorry, they <laughs> are all. Uh, they range some of the most endangered Brit species. Uh, like shocking stats. Some of the birds are down by like ninety-seven percent, uh, and they will be singing uh, acoustically. Um, on their own, composed, we're creating a, a kind of a musical track with, with these pieces singing. And then we are going to launch it in the same way as you would any musical track. Um, we are going to be available to download on all major platforms. And the idea is that, you know, we can't necessarily afford a major ad campaign or, um, you know, a way to get people thinking and talking about birds and, and wider nature. But what we can do is try and, and kind of connect it to kind of popular culture and make, you know, remind people of the beauty of birdsong. I think I would challenge, you know, anyone to go out in the morning one day and just listen out for birds. And, and that little moment of connection is what we've kind of been working on, which kind of ties into those values you were talking about earlier about, you know, how do we help people connect back to nature? Um, I would say one of the things I was also interested in when you, you know, and I think we talk about some of what we talk about with the kind of agency for the new culture feels quite, quite lofty. And, and I always kind of wonder how we're going to make it. What are the steps and whether you've thought of, you know, are we going to work with kind of younger people or how do we get people to that? Because I think, you know, when you try and explain some of those concepts, people are like, yeah, cool, but it feels very very out there and actually I think it can become it's quite easy to kind of bring it back and show people steps and I think maybe young people is a great way to to kind of work with them whether you've thought about that when you've been kind of coming up with some of these theories yeah I think you know we probably would never put the creative agency for the new culture on our website or talk about that we're trying to promote creativity compassion and connection with nature I think those things come through in the projects that we do and the partners that we work with but one of the things I think is really important is to move away from this idea that we're an environmental charity so we just work on protecting rivers and mountains and to instead see that actually what we're trying to do is to influence and encourage value systems to start to can create a whole picture where a human being, a young person, for example, sees themselves as, yeah, I believe in compassion. And I also mean, that also means that I believe in the protection of nature, but that also means that I believe in social justice. So it's rather than seeing these as individual issues, trying to make it a little bit more holistic. But as you say, it can be quite abstract and it can be quite lofty. So the most important thing is to do projects like cats, where we stick a load of cats on tube posters and make people laugh. And then through that, maybe some of them think, oh, that's creative and it is about nature, but we don't ram it down people's throats. Yeah. And going back to that point at the beginning, it's like how can we help people ask questions about the world around them so that they go on their own journey, so that they start to question whether or not the world that we've got at the moment, the reality we have at the moment, is the only one that's possible, or if actually we could have something radically different and radically better and more fun and engaging and more loving, and by doing so, help them end up somewhere different. So we're trying to set people off on that yeah. on that river. I think we, we, you know, 
having worked with you for a number of years and we always kind of say it's like why does kind of cause or charity or issues why does that have to always be like worthy and boring like why can't you have you know you know we talked about you know the same the same kind of passion and positivity and optimism and glossiness of kind of the commercial sector why that can't be right. uh, why that can't be focused on on issues right and going back to your previous question if you look at the influences that younger people have in this country and in you know developed economies around the world probably the number one institution that they're hearing from are brands they hear from nike and adidas and they hear from uh, major fashion labels more than they hear from any kind of wise elders um, anyone in a position of wisdom um, or indeed any kind of cultural viewpoints you know they, they might listen to pop stars and the problem is that the message they're always getting is ultimately that buying something is the route to identity and belonging. And as long as that is the primary message that young people are getting, then they are not going to be active citizens. They're not going to get their voice heard. They're not going to go out there and march. And the fact that we see things like, you know, the youth climate uh, marches that are happening at the moment is in spite of the culture that they're living in rather than because of it. So what we're thinking is, imagine if you could bring the power of that branding and that advertising and put it together with the amazing climate movements that are happening, with the amazing social justice movements and make it exciting and fresh and accessible and as bold as the example we often use is the Nike Running Club, which gets thousands of people out because it's beautifully presented. Let's do that for marching. Let's do that for demonstrations and voting and doing all the stuff that we really need to get ahead in the world. That was Zach Schwartz and James Turner, co-founders of socially driven creative collective Glimpse. This has been Thought Starters, recorded in the pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a Dianico project for White City Place, produced by David Michon, recorded by Antonio Fernandez, and edited by Sean Crook. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com or on Twitter or Instagram with the handle at White City Place, or shoot us an email at podcast at whitecityplace.com. And subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes, Acast, and Stitcher. Give us a rating and write us a comment. It really helps. We'll see you next time.